The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. From days long ago, from uncharted regions of the universe, comes a legend. The dream that came through a million years, that lived on through all the tears. It came here, the Fandom Nexus. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to our host as he plugged in his microphone. I have a podcast! Here he is, your Spider-Pan, Jeremy. Alright, we are here! We are here. We've got two yes. well, two panels this weekend. So Philip and I, yes, yes. The, your spider pan is here on location. Uh, I didn't get to bring my big. Yeah. Well, that'll, that'll cost us. Oh, hey, there's there's William there, dressed as uh, as old Luke. <laughs> oh, I love it. But yeah, oh man. I wanted to find one. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's kind of well. Of course, you know, don't take photos over there, but. Uh, now, uh, the guy dresses old Luke William, um, he used to be a police officer in Overland Park. He moved to San Diego. He's, he's the head guy in the 501st. He's pretty important. Uh, I actually, for a while, they had a, a lightsaber training thing that I was doing. Heather and I were doing. He was a part of that as well. So, yeah, we're going to see a lot of costumes there. Phillips is the costumes. But we just got onto the floor. We're going to wander. I'm going to buy some stuff. Yeah. Uh, Fun stuff. Find Celebrity Row. This is like a nerd's Christmas. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And it's been four years. Yeah, four years. Four years. I've gotten to come to one. Uh, last time I came, just so you'll know, I mean, I don't know that you need to know, but I had just come out of uh, three brain surgeries and had just been released. And that's when I got to, uh, William Shatner did the sweetest, kindest thing. Him and his people. I was in a wheelchair and I just had my head worked on and they had allowed me to get my picture taken with him and they didn't charge me a thing so I'm going to go meet him again today and this time I'm ready to get my picture with him and you've booked a time at 7.30 yes I did uh, yes but I'm excited about it I'm really excited about it so I'm very thankful very thankful to get to be here today and even though it's hard to walk around and all for me I'm very excited this is fun this is the first time I got to do anything like this in a while yeah four years and the last time I was here was the last time I was hosting a panel And uh, but we're back we're post COVID let's go find some adventure yes and maybe get some photos with some stuff <laughs> absolutely i want to see i want to see vader just for a second all right i have a great panel recording that i want to share with you but before we share with it i have to say i goofed up and i forgot to actually turn on the recorder at the beginning of the panel my fault uh so i want to real quick kind of just introduce uh who was with us we had summer nesbit from the uh, Walt Disney Hometown Museum and Marceline had come down to be a part of this panel. And uh, so you miss a little bit of the beginning of it. So let me just run over some of the information. Uh, we mentioned the uh, the Disney family coming in June of 1911 to Kansas City after Elias has sold the farm. Uh, we talked about the house over on Bella Fontaine. I told people where it was and how... Uh, life changed for Walt and Roy as they had paper routes to to work on that Elias had purchased for the Kansas City Star and the Kansas City Times. And Walt attending Benton Elementary. And in 1916, Walt began attending Saturday classes at the Kansas City Art Institute. Uh, we do talk a, bit, a little bit about Walt, uh, the, the Disney family moving to Chicago in August 1917. And then Walt driving an ambulance in World War One, serving nine months in France as part of the Red Cross, where his mother had to... Uh, 
fictionalized his ID to help him get in there and do that and how he started drawing on his ambulance and then drew on other people's ambulances. Then coming back to Kansas City and getting a job and uh, I think this is about the point where I hit the button where he meets up iWorks and as we get into the actual panel, you are now going to hear from Sumner Nesbitt. But here at the panel, of course, you have me, your Spider-Pan Jeremy, Lost Boy Philip, also known as the Kryptonian, and... Uh, uh, that's pretty much what you missed in the introduction. But here we go. Let's hear our first panel from Friday at Planet Comic Con, Kansas City. And But he did meet somebody there that became uh, very important to uh, his life, uh, both personally and professionally, and that was Ub Iwerks. Now, Ub Iwerks was Walt's first business partner. Uh, Ub Iwerks is from Kansas City. Uh, and he also was working uh, as an artist with Pesman Rubin. And uh, when they both got laid off, uh, they decided, well, they'll just go into business for themselves. And so they started uh, their own company uh, called Disney Iwerks, and then they reversed it called Iwerks Disney. Uh, or maybe it was it was Iwerks Disney, and then they reversed it to Disney Iwerks. But they reversed it at some point in time because they were concerned that it sounded too much like an eye doctor, an optometrist. <laughs> and so, so it was probably eye first. That's I yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so anyway, uh, but uh, after uh, not really a lot of success doing that, uh, they then uh, both got jobs working for the Kansas City uh, Film Ad Company, which at the time was the Kansas City Slide Company. And what they did then was they actually drew. Um, ads and things like that that would go uh, before movies and things like that that would play uh, just like these little still film, you know, just as it's called the Kansas City Slide Company, they were just slides that would, you know, they would put in front of a projector. And so uh, they both started uh, doing that and that got Walt into the, uh, the, um, the I guess, the, uh, the realm of the theater owners in town. Yeah. And so that's when he really started to figure out what animation was and the things that he could do with moving animation, not just still photos. Uh, so while he was working at the Kansas City Film Ad Company, he actually met a few other people that would mm -hmm. be really important to his animation career, and that's uh, Hugh Harmon, uh, also his brother Fred Harmon, uh, both, oh, yeah. both animators, yeah. and then uh, Rudolph Ising, and then of course he met someone named Carl Stalling. Now Carl Stalling, not an animator, but just as important as the rest of them, yeah. Carl Stalling was actually a film composer, and he actually mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, got his start uh, as the organist at the Isis Theater here yep. in Kansas City. Uh, so back in the day when they had silent films, uh, they used to have an organist live there playing the music while the film was running. And so that's what Carl Stalling did. Yeah. Now, keep these names in mind because we're going to have to jump into details. Like Hugh Harmon, Rudolf Ising, they're eventually going to form a business together. And Carl Stalling, uh, who here is a fan of Looney Tunes? You've seen his name. You've heard his music. He's all over that, but we'll get into some more details on that later. So, like, I, I kind of name drop a few people in these early stuff, but when we get into what happened to these guys, that's kind of the meat and potatoes when we get to it. And the funny part is, I forgot to hit record, so we just, the first thing I got, so y'all get something special that you, the people who listen to regularly to the podcast are not going to ever hear. They won't know that the conspiracy that we launched at the beginning of the show, <laughs> where we're all going to go out there and we're just going to start taking every toy that's in every aisle up there. Come on, we're with me, right? Okay, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. so the so, last Graham Studios film actually from May 1922. Now, some of you may have uh, seen the building. I haven't seen it since that a car drove into it. Uh, uh, but yeah, September 22, they, they signed their first contract with Pictorial Clubs Incorporated to produce six cartoons. And December 20, December 1922, almost said 2022. My goodness, they completed six fairy tale cartoons. In May of 1923, Walt pitches the Alice comedies mm -hmm. to Margaret J. Winkler in New York. Now, you, those of you who are big Disney fans, I bet you're like, the Alice Comedies, I've heard of that, right? Maybe. Yeah, we got like, some. 
Maybe three of us. <laughs> Some of these are already in public go. domain. Uh, you can actually go and find a lot of these online if you go digging around. Even Wikipedia isn't allowed to show an old Alice comedy. Uh, this actually had a little girl from, uh, I believe she was from Kansas, as Alice. It's, it's one of the earliest times, I think maybe even one of the first times, you're going to see a live-action person with an animated character. So before there was Roger Rabbit, and before, uh, who was it that danced with Jerry Mouse? Uh, Gene, Gene Kelly. Kelly yeah. yeah. Before Gene Kelly danced with Jerry Mouse, you had this little girl, Alice. Mm -hmm. And there's even this nice little shot where Walt is taking the Alice over and he's drawing things on a thing. and showing a look at this wonderful world I'm creating. And eventually Alice is going to go inside the, wonder Ooh, the wonderful world that Walt creates. They're really, really kind of fun and cute. Uh, do you guys get to show any of those at the museum? Yeah, we do. We actually That's show, so. um, we have it on a repeat on a loop. We show Alice's Wonderland, which was the first Alice comedy uh, that was made, which was actually filmed here in Kansas City. They were starting, and before that, they just started with Fletcher uh, cartoons. Or Fletcher? Fletcher cartoons. They yeah. just started those uh, those cartoons. They had that mouth, or they had the clown. I can't remember his name. The ink, the ink what was it? Coco. Coco. Yeah, oh, and, they, and they had it in the inkwell. And that's when you first started having your real life and cartoon come together situation. Then right after that, you had Alice, and all these mm -hmm. things were coming together. Very and if, if the Fleischer cartoons sound familiar to you, uh, they did some early Superman cartoons that were really cool. They're actually the ones for the reason why Superman flies, because in the original comic, Superman just leapt over tall buildings with a single roll bound, but it's hard to animate that. And so when he jumped, he looked like he was taking off and flying. So they eventually talked to uh, DC Comics at the time and said, can we just say that he flies? And then... Also, the reason why they, the first time they ever heard him say, uh, uh, you know, faster, I mean, the first time he said uh, America, you know, true America. Uh, uh, American truth, way, justice, the American justice, way. Yeah, yeah cause it was used to be the truth, justice, and then eventually said in the American way, because they needed that at that time. Everybody needed that with wars and all that going on, yeah. so they needed to hear that. Now, the odd thing, though, about this, so here in May, we start, we got the Alice comedies. Can I ask we have a quick question. It is. It is. The old ones are, are now officially public domain. So you can find them, watch them on YouTube. On, on YouTube. Yeah. I actually have a short documentary that I didn't bring with me that I actually used clips of it because I could get away with it. So, but the weird thing, so like in May, he has the Alice Comedies, but then August, that same year, Laughagram goes bankrupt. So Walt moves to California. Mm. Now, that's actually beneficial for a lot of things, but. Uh, it just also, you know, I, it's, it's one of those things like, you know, we could have had all this animation that was coming out of Kansas City if, if this had succeeded because of the artists that he had had working with him. But maybe if he hadn't gone to California and everything that happens next where he meets up with Roy and pulls Bo Roy out of a turkey bellosis tuberculosis bed and says, hey, I don't know how to run a business. And they start the Walt Disney Company. I think he went over, they had some of their other brothers that were, wasn't there another brother in California at the time too? Or is it just Roy? Yeah, so uh, at the time when Walt first moved to California, it was just Roy there. Um, however, much like how Walt uh, got all of his animator buddies that were here in Kansas City to move out to California, Walt got all of his brothers and the rest of his family to move out to California as well over time. <laughs> uh, you know, something that's significant, when Walt uh, first built uh, his studio, he wanted it to be run as the way a family would run it. And so he, you know, hung out with all of his buddies. He wanted all of his friends involved. You know, they would hang out uh, there at the studio long hours after they actually stopped working. And, uh, you know, that was just sort of the environment that Walt wanted to create. And, uh, and, you know, he just liked to have all of those people that were close to him around him, you know, whenever he could. Yeah. So, yeah, so all of his friends he made here in Kansas City, all of his animator friends, he convinced them to move to, uh, to California. And he did the same with his actual real family as well. Yeah, Walt knew talent when he met him. I mean, uh, there's people that, that worked at the Disney Studios that would talk about Walt would th come up with things for them to do. They thought, that's not what I'm good at. But then they start doing it. It's like, I actually am good at this. I don't know how Walt did it, 
but he could find your talent and what you're good at, and you would excel at it. He just he just knew these things. I don't know how. I like so, to think like, he had a sense of magic to him. That's that's how I think about it. Disney you know magic. <laughs> and so like all these people that he's he's met that he's bringing with him. Okay, now I've got some details on some of these. We mentioned Hugh Harmon earlier. Uh, I've even got his birthday, August 31st, 1903, in Pagosa Springs, Colorado. So after Laughogram, he actually tried to start his own studio with Carmen Maxwell and Rudolph Ising. You're going to have to remember him later, Harmon and Ising. Anyone ever heard of Harmonizing? Oh, yeah, we got a guy. Harmonizing. Harmonizing. They started their own thing. They failed, though, at this first one. He returned to work with Walt under Charles Mintz. We're going to get that notorious name later. <laughs> Mintz kept him after sending Walt home without Oswald, which I think we're going to get in more detail on that one probably too. I think I think I did a lot more focus on my notes of some of the other people, but y'all probably know about Oswald the Lucky Rabbit and the unlucky story of how he was taken away, but then later trade for Al Michaels. So, so Disney now has Oswald back for a sportscaster. But yeah, Charles Mintz, uh, after the, when Walt had moved to California, he starts making these Oswald the Lucky Rabbit ones. I think some of those are in public domain now, too, so you can find some of those. Some are. Uh, well, the original ones made by Walt were, are, are owned by Disney now. Okay, so, okay yeah. so they do have control. And they're actually doing stuff with Oswald. I actually found a nice little plush of Oswald in a Disney tour long yeah. ago. It was nice. It was so nice when they got him back because they were able to do something. And I was thrilled to see him in that game. What was that game that he was in? Oh, uh, Epic Mickey. Yeah, Epic Mickey game. I was thrilled to see him again. Yeah. When yeah. I was a kid, I had that big book, and that came out. In, I want to say 1980, maybe 79. But uh, my father had a copy of the book. It's mine now. But I look at it every once in a while. I remember it would show Walt's early stuff in Kansas City and all this, and it showed this rabbit. And I said, Dad, who's that? He goes. Well, son, he said, Walt, before Mickey Mouse, God had made, uh, God, excuse me, Walt, he's not God, okay? <laughs> I, I apologize. I'm a pastor. I'm used to talking about God, okay? Anyway, he said, and my dad was a pastor too. Anyway, he said, Walt had made uh, Oswald the lucky rabbit. And I said, oh, how come we don't get to watch him now? And he said to me, he said, People are jerks. He goes, Charles that's just Mintz. how it is. <laughs> <laughs> Charles Mintz. They, they, let's see, do I have how many? Yeah, he, so he continued. Charles Mintz actually was producing Oswald cartoons with Ising. Uh, they, they developed a particular style that they actually carried over to Warner Brothers. So, you know, a lot of those early Warner Brothers, some of the, that Oswald style. Although, I guess it probably wasn't quite the same without Walt. No, yeah. Well, you know, Oswald uh, never really had that sustainable uh, career uh, that nope. Mickey had later on. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, after after Walt's involvement was was gone from the Oswald cartoons, uh, I think the Oswald cartoons kind of lost their 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 yeah. charm a little bit. So, yeah. and they kind of lost their popularity as well. So. Yeah. But you know, Hugh Harmon did a lot of other things uh, with Ising and a few other Disney animators. He actually went on with Leon Schlesinger. All right, who's my Looney Tunes people again? <laughs> Every Looney Tune you've ever seen, Leon Schlesinger, you have seen his name on it. Uh, he created actually first uh, the pilot for Bosco, the Talk Inc. kid, yeah. uh, when he was under contract for Warner Brothers. So this is, Bosco. you know, we're still talking about Rudolph Ising <laughs> and, of course, Hugh Harmon doing this. Uh, in 1939, while working for MGM, nominated he was nominated for an Oscar for his anti-war Peace on Earth cartoon. We're still, of course... Just to make sure we're all know, this is all the Hugh Harmon notes I've got. So this is Hugh Harmon's career. Uh, and this was actually, the Peace on Earth cartoon was two squirrels, and they had commentary on the evils of humanity, because squirrels are watching us. They know what we do. That's what they If you don't think so, just try to drive down the road and not have a yeah. them jump in front of you. So what's cool is Hugh Harmon, <laughs> in 1940, actually produced Hanna-Barbera's first cartoon, Puss Gets the Boots. And that introduced the world to Tom and Jerry. That's right. So maybe without Walt Disney, we don't get Tom and Jerry. I don't know. 
I can't say that definitively, but that's in my head canon, okay? Uh, 1941, he left MGM and joined with Disney veteran Mel Shaw to form their own studio in Ub Iwerks old studio, and they created military training cartoons. Mm-hmm. Next guy on my list, Fred Harmon. He was, of course, from the ad company. He was born in 1902. He actually became noted after the laughogram for Red Rider comic strips. Mm, I love it. This sound familiar to anybody? Anybody shoot their eye out? Right. Okay. That's how we so if it wasn't for Walt, you would not shoot your eye out, okay? You had more than just a gun. You had Red Rider bread. You had Red Rider uh, toys and comics. So, geez, so many Red Rider things. They had Red Rider uh, shorts that they'd show in movie theaters. And I have a lot of junk about Red Rider, believe me, but I won't talk about <laughs> that now. <laughs> now, all right, we've already talked about his buddy, Rudolph Ising. I got a lot of history on Rudolph Ising. You want to jump to you? You want to sure. go off of my next notes? Let's see. I'm, uh, well, I, I, where's it at here? Yeah, it's on the next page over. Okay. Starting with, uh, he actually tried to create his own studio, and he failed at that. So he went back with his buddy Harmon to work with Disney on Oswald cartoons and, and Alice comedies. Says that he continued working with Mintz after Oswald had taken, uh, was taken away from Walt. And after leaving the Universal Studios, that's where Mintz was, after uh, leaving Universal Studios, he and Harmon went to Warner Brothers and began uh, work on Bosco, which launched the Looney Tunes series. Now, I had seen some of those Bosco cartoons. I have them with my Looney Tunes collection that nice. I had bought. They have a little bit of Bosco on there. Now, if there's any Seinfeld friends, uh, fans here, anybody a Seinfeld fan? Anybody at all? Now, you all know the, the name or word Bosco. We're not supposed to know that. That is the secret word for George to, uh, to get into his account. You know that, so don't tell anyone. Okay, and also it's the the wonderful chocolatey syrup drink, which you can still find in certain places. Anyway, so um, where am I here? So uh, that was the Bosco was to launch the Looney Tunes series. It also started Merry Melodies and parody of Walt Disney's Silly Symphonies. Or he might just have been utilizing the popularity. Mm-hmm. I can confirm it as a parody, but come on. Walt comes out and gets successful silly, silly symphonies. Next thing you know, this guy who used to work with Walt decides, well, we're going to make Merry Melodies. I know, we'll go and call them Looney Tunes. It's the same setup. That's, that's, that is a fact. Mm-hmm. But they also had, a, there was a few others. I don't remember them all right now. But they'd have different things for tunes and melodies, and there's a couple of those I don't remember right now. Yeah, even uh, when uh, Hugh Harmon and Rudolph Ising formed the Harmonizing, they started doing, I forgot what they called theirs, I think it's probably in here somewhere. Uh, but they started doing based on music, because you know, part of the fun of like those early animations is like once they could have sound and animation, and I don't know if anybody had even thought of it, because you know, when they see a live action, it's like, oh, well, we know live things make sound. But when you see something animated, it doesn't make sound on its own, so I th- that's probably what gave Mickey the biggest push in the world is like when he had sound and animation and that was that was huge for around here now Walt was not the extreme first to put sound and animation but he worked on it and makes it better that's a lot, a lot of what Walt would do is he would find things and then he's like how can we make this a little bit better even even animatronics he I forgot where he was Bundy in South America where he found find this little bird and uh, he saw like the little motion when you push some buttons on it, and he brought it home to his what would be basically Imagineers and say, "How can we make this better? And how can we make this and put it in the park?" I think he went to a place called the Tiki 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 Room. I'm well, pretty that's, sure that's pretty much where we got the Tiki Room. But yeah, <laughs> I'm sidetracking way off of stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's like it's just wild how all these different people, everybody who Walt came in contact with that he worked with, went on to do great things. And an amazing thing is they all worked in Kansas City. And why does nobody know this? 
Uh, I don't line. know, but there's a lot more to Kansas City. Yeah, there's so much more. More than just barbecue sauce. Else. Okay. Anyway, where did, I, where did I take you off of there? They are frequent. They are frequent, uh, accused of uh, copying Disney. Oh, you already said it. Copying yeah. Disney style and parody title uh, may have something to do with it. They worked on Silly Symphonies, uh, Mermaids, yeah. while Walt's animators worked on Snow White. In 1931, Mary Melody's Smile, Darn Ya Smile. All right. See, now, last time I actually did present this information, I tried to get a sing-along going for Smile, Darn Your Smile. Y'all seen Roger Rabbit, right? You know the song at the end, right? Smile, darn no, you, yeah, smile. smile. You know, this whole world is a great world after all. But they're not Nobody knows this. Wow, okay. <laughs> Go watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's at the end of the day. All the characters come out and sing along. It's smile, darn your smile. It was actually, I can't remember where the song actually originated from. But oh, it's a... Uh, shall we post for the camera? It says, drawn by uh, I... How do you say it? I Freeling? Where, I'm less, I yeah, Freeling. I Freeling, which you might know him from some Looney Tunes as well. Also and, known as Frizz Freeling. And, I, and Max Maxwell. Who will meet? We will meet later. Yes. Go ahead, take. It. Yeah, I have a lot of stuff in here. You want to talk about like 1933? Oh yeah, sure. So, um, you know, after uh, Leon Schlesinger uh, had a falling out at, with Warner Brothers, he took Bosco over to MGM uh, with uh, with uh, Harmon and Icing as well. Uh, and then, uh, you know, they kind of saw what happened with uh, Walt and Oswald, and they didn't yeah. really want the same thing to happen to, sure. to them. You know, yeah. something that's really well, important. Well, this, this is particularly the Rudolph Ising had the falling out with Leon Schlesinger while at Warner Brothers. Yeah, and so, so well, so the important thing to, to note is um, when, uh, when Walt had that falling out with Charles Metz and he lost the rights to Oswald, uh, he said he would never uh, do another cartoon again that he didn't have the, the rights to. And so I think all of the animators that were that experienced that, you know, learned from that as <laughs> yeah. well. And so, no, that's my character. Thank you. I'm taking him. Yeah. And so Har Harmon and Ising, you know, obviously wanted to keep their characters to yeah. themselves if they possibly could. So, uh, so yeah, so they, they took Bosco over to, uh, to, uh, to MGM. Uh, and uh, where, they, where while they were there, they created the Happy Harmonies, which is yeah, another that's version of the, uh, the Happy Harmonies. No, another version of the Merry Melodies or Silly Symphonies, yeah. or you know, another. But the quality of them, if you ever see those Happy Harmonies, they're qu the quality is. I mean, you can tell that they picked up a lot of their quality and style from Walt, uh, with working with him and the, the quality he expected. Th those are amazing. Those early MGM cartoons, they're really hard to find these days, but I, I definitely recommend them. They're just beautiful animation. They really are. Yeah. Well, and uh, so after uh, after they started uh, that series, um, they uh, they were actually terminated from from MGM uh, <laughs> yeah. a little bit later on, uh, and uh, in which case uh, Rudolph Ising went back and worked for did a little bit of work for Disney um, and on the Silly Symphonies, and then he actually went back to MGM for a little bit as well, uh, and uh, there was actually a couple cartoons that he ended up selling to Fred Quimby, mm -hmm. uh, who Fred Quimby was uh, instrumental with the um, uh, Tom and Jerry cartoons yep. later on. Uh, but he actually, uh, Rudolph Ising won an Oscar for the short film The Milky Way. Uh, it was actually the first time, the first time they had that category at the Academy Awards that Walt Disney didn't win yeah. the Academy, the Academy Award for that. Yeah, <laughs> great cartoon. I, I want all those. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Rudolph Ising actually uh, kind of uh, gave up animation for a little bit because he actually went and uh, served during World War II. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, obviously him and uh, uh, Hugh Harmon uh, did eventually part ways and, you know, he had all that, you know, kind of career on his own. Um, but uh, they actually uh, did a, another short uh, in 1951 called Good Wrinkles, uh, which was to support the Calif California prune industry, uh, which I think is kind of interesting. But, yeah, yeah, that's kind of wondered if, if, if when they were doing the California raisins, some of y'all are so young, you probably don't know the California raisins. But I wondered if this, this prune, good wrinkles, yeah, like early, somehow or yeah. another gave somebody the idea like, hey, you know what? That worked for prunes. Maybe we need to do it for California raisins. I wonder about Did you hear things. through the grapevine? 
I heard it through the green fine. No, I stumbled over that mess that lineup, didn't I? Y'all know what I'm saying, though. Sure. But okay, now this is the fun part with Carl Stalin. We were talking about him and some of his music. He actually born in Lexington, Missouri, in 1888. So I mean, he's like good, a good deal older, older than Walt even. Uh, but actually, at a very young age, he was playing on a broken toy piano. Can you imagine Schroeder that's from awesome Peanuts? Idea. That's pretty much that's Carl Stalling. This guy was just musical from the. You I know, have a feeling it's because of him that we that any of us know any of the classic music because I I honestly people say do you like any classic music and I used to say this and it's not the way it is now I don't like classical exactly I don't know I don't like classical music I used to think and then someone oh you've heard of this one and this mm -hmm. one said no I've never heard that and then suddenly they start playing it and as they start to play it I was like, oh, I know that. That's the one where Daffy Duck is running away from, yeah. you know. Or that's the one where, where Mickey is running from the lawnmower that's causing a storm and all this junk. The fact of the matter is it's because they would put that or he mm -hmm. would put that in those cartoons. What is that famous? Is it something like called the machine or something. It's the one that you would always say, do, 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 do. You know, yeah. It was actually a pretty famous piece at the time. But see, the, the brilliance of using some of those pieces is they would actually get what would, would be popular music at the time and they would stick it into the cartoons and there's you know that music recognition it's it was pretty brilliant but if it wasn't one of those most likely Carl Stalling composed it himself uh, but we already mentioned before you know, like I, that you know Carl Stalling actually for the Laughingram cartoons was playing the music he actually met Walt at the, the ISIS theater but I have a long stinking list of all the stuff he did after uh, Laughingram uh, but some of the funs he he actually did dub Mickey's voice once oh really yes I, I, I found that, but I could not find the ex exact thing. But what was neat is he actually developed a technique that's called ticking. And that's where you have orchestra members wearing yes. headphones to hear a metronome beat, keeping them all on the same beat. Now, there's a great documentary at the museum. Uh, it, what is the, the the man, the myth, the legend? Something like that. I forgot the but name The man of behind it. the myth. But you can see a little bit of Walt and all these musicians and sound people trying to put sound to like stuff like Steamboat Willie. And you, you had to do it all in one take. There is not the layering that you can do now. I mean, right now, I've got a recorder. I can do four, up to four different That's tracks, right. and I can edit it. But they had to do it all at once, and so they would have to have it timed exactly right with the composition of the music, which would be part of your sound effects. Is one of the things the Disney cartoons were famous for is a lot of the sound effects, like when water splashes, it might be a cymbal crash. Instead of sounding like water, you know, Donald Duck falls in the water, and cymbals. They used music for stuff. So you, you kind of see where this ends up coming around, where the ticking, where it's like, okay, we need to make sure all the music are in time and we have to have a rhythm to this animation. So you metronome all your people to make sure you're exactly in rhythm so you can just play the music and have it fit to the animation, which is pretty brilliant. So that's probably why I think Warner Brothers had so much fun with him. Uh, he also did work on the Flip the Frog Shorts with Up Iwerks. I've never seen any of these. Oh, I've seen a few. Uh, but the, well done. I have a long list. When he started working over at Warner Brothers and doing the, uh, he was the, the music director for the animation department. Uh, it said his arrival coincided with the emergence of the golden age of Warner Animation under supervision from Leon Schlesinger. He assembled the crack team of animators, including Robert McKimson, Bob Clampett, Chuck Jones. Y'all got to know Chuck Jones, Chuck man. Jones. He's the man. The Tex great. Avery, one of the greats and everything, and Frank Tashlin. And the studio's cartoons, the Merry Melodies, the Looney Tunes series, respectively, heralded a new era of inspired lunacy with stable of memorable characters, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, and all of them. Mm -hmm. uh, overall, Stalling scored about 600 cartoons over in all and he's even he has that distinctive boing sound effect apparently like the beginning of a like when you watch a Looney Tune and you got that boing 
That's all Carl Stalling. He's like credited for that. Uh, I think he even, uh, let's see, oh, here it is, yes. He's also established the distinctive theme songs used in the Merrily We Roll Along for Merry Melodies series and the Merry-Go-Round Broke Down for Looney Tunes. Once again, Walt touches somebody else that goes to something we all know that we don't think about associating Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny mm -hmm. together to tell Roger Rabbit. But I give Walt some credit for like, hey, he discovered Carl Stalling, got Carl Stalling really rolling in his career and working in animation. Who knows what Carl Stalling might have done had he not met Walt. It's so like he have ever done anything for animation. It's like patchwork, you know? It's patchwork. It's, yeah. it's the butterfly effect. You never know. Like, Walt, sometimes these people, he only worked with Walt for just a little bit. But then when they go off and do these things, I always look back. It's like, that time they, they interacted with Walt, how much influence did that have on their career? Well, and also, I want to uh, say something else about Carl Stalling here. So the, the whole way, reason he ended up going to California um, Walt just happened to stop by in Kansas City on the way between New York and uh, yeah. California. He just stopped, you know, the train stopped in Kansas City and he stopped by specifically to see Carl Stalling. And it was nice. on that little, on that little, uh, you know, layover, you know, if you will, uh, that uh, he convinced him to, to come out there. So it was just, uh, it was a side part of a bigger trip for Walt, mm -hmm. you know, but it was a, a huge impact for Carl Stalling. Was that part of the same trip that he was developing Mickey Mouse on the way? Um, I, I don't believe it was the same trip. Uh, okay. Walt made several trips to New York because at the time, that's where all the, uh, uh, animation producers were, right. and animation distributors. And so uh, he made several trips between California and New York. Because yeah. so. the fun thing is, I call uh, Mickey Mouse's hometown was Kansas City. Because while Walt had the Laughogram Studios, he had a little field mouse that he caught in a drawer and he taught it to do tricks and follow his pencil around. And so, of course, when he needs a character, I think that's probably why a mouse jumped in his head. Now, of course, he wanted to call it Mortimer. Yeah. Thank God Lily said Mortimer's a terrible name. Let's, let's call him Mickey. And he came back, Mortimer, the name, came back yep. later as one of the enemies. Have you all <laughs> seen that great cartoon, Mickey's Rival, where you meet Mortimer Mouse, who's supposed to be like Minnie's old... I think they've re-released even again. There's a, yeah. They had a 90th anniversary of Mickey that had it on there. Uh, but they've recently, they've been releasing a lot of classics, and I think Mickey's Rival was on the first set that they re-released again. So if you haven't seen it, Mickey's Rival, it's a great one because Mortimer is just so, this short jerk. And this is where we, you know, our lovable Mickey yeah, get to yeah. see him kind of just getting the, the, the bad end of things until finally he gets to be the hero in the end. And that's, that's why we love Mickey, because he's that optimistic little hero. He steps up when the time comes. He's just this little hero mouse. Well, something else about Mortimer, too, uh, that I find interesting is the animators actually developed the look of him to be a caricature of Walt. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah. He was the ornery version of Walt. Mickey had some of Walt's honoriness, but mostly his sweetness yeah. by yeah. the end. And then uh, Mortimer was basically the mean part of Walt, if you want to call it mean part of Walt, more the, the ornery, you know, ornery version, we'll just say. <laughs> What's up? Uh, I just looked up Mickey's Rivals on Disney Plus. So. There you oh! go. Go check it out when you get home today. That's right. It is it's a great cartoon. Thank you. Of course, we, we personally recommend the band concert if you've never seen that That's one. That's my favorite of all. That's, that's my number two because I love the Brave Little Tailor most of all. It's stuck in my head that, that uh, the music in there. To this day, if I when I work out, believe it or not, I do. When I work out, I, I work out to that music, you know, the, all the music <laughs> in there, and I have to have it together. It's got to all be together. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. All right, but we do have like Isidore Frizz Freeling, which you mentioned before. You usually see him as either Frizz Freeling on Looney Tunes or I Freeling. Uh, he actually was born August 21st, 1906, here in Kansas City, Missouri. Wonderful. Uh, he actually met Walt at the United Film Ad Service. Was that the, the, the first one he was working at or the second one? That was the second one. That was the second one. That's what I thought. He also met uh, Bioworks there, Hugh Harmon, and Hugh Harmon, who introduced Walt as Laughogram, was ending. 
So now after a laughogram, he did follow Walt over to Los Angeles in, 23, in 1923, and then seven months later, uh, he worked on the Alice, or no, I guess seven months later he followed Walt, and he worked on some of the Alice comedies and Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, and then he moved to New York with Margaret Winkler and Charles Mintz. Now, Walt did not like any of his artists that Charles Mintz stole. He, he carried that, and Jim Corcus actually told me once when I was talking about this, that uh, when Walt would see I Freeling on something, he used to refer to him as I.P. Freely. <laughs> so you don't double-cross uh, Walt. He was never going to forgive you, apparently. <laughs> he was a very passionate. They say he was temperamental, but it's like, that's not temper, that's passion. He was very passionate about his craft, and he wanted it right. Yeah. So uh -huh. he well, probably wasn't really mad at you unless you said you couldn't do it. Then he's like, I'm going to find somebody who can then. Mm -hmm. He was very passionate. Uh, let's see. Uh, any other things that we want to mention with Hugh Harmon or with... with uh, oh, he is cre uh, actually created and redesigned uh, Frizz Freeling, created or redesigned Bugs Bunny, Porky Pig, Yosemite Sam, Sylvester the Cat, um, where uh, it said Freeling was short, red-haired, and bad-tempered, which sounds a lot like, um, oh, wow, the name just went up, Yosemite Sam, thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, also, Tweety Pie, oh, who later became You didn't know that? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you talk like halfway through, and I was like, works. Didn't you say that he was the one that you said at your, uh, your place there, didn't you say that he helped to maybe redesign Mickey Mouse? Yeah, so, oh, yes. Yeah, uh, with going to Up Iwerks, though, um, so Up, you know, there's the, you know, again, going back to the famous story of Walt losing all of his animators uh, to Charles Mintz uh, when he lost Oswald. The only animator that was loyal to Walt that stayed with him was Up Iwerks. Mm -hmm. Up and, was awesome. And Up also <laughs> Walt's first business partner. Uh, so Up Iwerks actually had uh, just an amazing work ethic uh, or, and also an amazing talent. Uh, he was known for drawing, you know, thousands of animated uh, cells a day, yeah. um, you know, which, you know, people today can't do that, you know, and so uh, Up Iwerks was just insanely talented, insanely quick, and, uh, and just, a, just a genius at, you know, anything he tried. Uh, there's a great documentary uh, called The Man Behind the Mouse, uh, or the, I'm sorry, The Hand Behind the Mouse, uh, that his granddaughter, Leslie Iwerks, directed. Fantastic. Uh, like but uh, but yeah, so is that on Disney Plus? Anybody know? I don't think that is. No, <sighs> I'm gonna uh, but I'm gonna look uh, on YouTube, see if it's on there. But Up Iwerks, so Walt, you know, created the character of Mickey Mouse mm -hmm. and then handed it over to Up Iwerks to actually perfect the design for it. Mm -hmm. And those earliest Mickey Mouse cartoons, those black and white cartoons, um, the, those were really um, kind of Up Iwerks's sense of humor, you yeah, know, creeping yeah. in. And uh, you know, if you look at those Mickey Mouse cartoons versus some of the later ones, mm -hmm. more more specifically, like the the colored cartoons yeah. that come in later, uh, Mickey is a little bit sweeter, a little bit more. More um, uh, optimistic, you yeah. know, doesn't lose his temper as much as he does in those earlier ones. Those earlier ones, Ub really kind of put that spunk yeah. in yeah. Mickey that, yeah. that, that you know oh, kind of oh. lost it later on. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, Ub was, um, you know, you talk about these people that, uh, you know, we're talking about um, for his Freeling and how kind of how Walt had this little bit of a grudge maybe against him for leaving the studio. <laughs> yeah. um, the only person that really left the studio that Walt really welcomed back after they left was Ub Iwerks. So Ub Iwerks did yeah. end up leaving uh, and created the fl uh, Flip the Frog cartoons uh, later on. And once those cartoons didn't do so well, Ub actually came back to the Walt Disney Studio, and in which case Walt was uh, very happy to have him back. Oh, I'm sure. Walt, Walt himself said that Ub Iwerks was the, the, the best animator he knew. Yeah. And uh, Ub Iwerks actually, when he came back to the Disney Studio, did not want to come back as an animator. He wanted to come back uh, as an effects guy. And so he actually ended up developing um, a lot of uh, interesting techniques uh, that they use later on. So Up Iwerks uh, was instrumental in the Xerox process, which is ended up how they ended up uh, yeah. putting color on the, on, the, on the films back in the day. Uh, they used to have the ink and paint department, and then they were able to just Xerox those copies uh, into, you know, into color forms. And so he came up with that. He also um, helped develop the um, 
uh, what was at the time called Circorama, which is if you go to a Disney park and there's that 360 uh, mm. you know, films that play, he developed the earliest version of that. So uh, Up Iwerks was uh, just a technical genius. Uh, yeah. Later went on and uh, worked uh, for Alfred Hitchcock on a few films, uh, nominated for an Academy Award for The Birds for the uh, visual oh, effects great, that he did for that. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. But, know that. uh, you know, Up Iwerks is one of those guys that, uh, you know, we talk about how Walt uh, was able to recognize talent in somebody uh, and kind of encourage them to utilize their, you know, undeveloped talent or those areas that they didn't know they had talent in. Uh, Up Iwerks definitely that type of person, you know, it's just like everything he did, you know, he was talented at and Walt was able to kind of bring that out of him. So, yeah. Yeah, he had the golden touch, you'd yeah. say. Yeah. <laughs> And it's, it is really amazing when you see some of the black and whites, the, the ornery rascal that Mickey Mouse started as. I, I personally, I kind of don't like the Parks version of Mickey because he's just too sanitized. I mean, I get why they do it. They want to have kids be able to come oh, up yeah, and give him a hug. It. But it's like, this isn't the funny Mickey. This is, this is boring that even a Boy Scout would say, you're a nerd. And they're not the good kind of nerd like us. I mean, this is... It's really bad. He's hey, just take so sanitized. Take it easy on Mickey, man. That's I know. Foul. I love Mickey, but oh, I, I, I love animated Mickey a lot more than I like sanitized Mickey. I did like like some of those newer Mickey Mouse ones. They they brought the rascal back a little take bit. Take it easy on and some of these Which that ones. was that was that was part of the uh, yeah. that was part of that incentive was to kind of recapture imitate that old style. And I, I liked that. That was fun. Uh, still, still my favorite though is the uh, I, I don't always get the name wrong, but the yodeling one that they did recently that's actually packaged with a Mickey's Christmas Carol on a Blu-ray. I absolutely love that one. With, where he's trying to get it to Minnie Mouse's up on the top of a mountain, yeah. and uh, and like Mickey's being chased by this Yeti, and they're trying to not cause an avalanche. So it's like they, they have like a roar or a scream, and they go, ah! Oh, and even the, when the Yeti falls off the mountain, he's going, ah! Oh! <laughs> trying to not have an. It's, I don't know, that just cracks me up. I just, I, but I love that. It's like, that's, that's the, I love what they have in the, the animated. But yeah, in the parks, it's, it's like. It's Clubhouse Mickey. It's like, well, great for the preschoolers, but for me, it's like that's not the Mickey that it's still my always entertain me. Uh, my favorite Mickey is the the early days of, of the color uh, episode or episode, whatever you want to call them, features, where he had just the circle, or you could call them oval, yeah. uh, black eyes, eyes on the white the slices. Face. Yeah, yeah. kind of yeah. slightly uh, flesh color face. That sometimes. vintage Mickey. Love it. Love it. Love it. There is one thing I do want to mention that while we still have eye feeling is he started working with that uh, and some of you uh, older folks are not going to remember this some of you want maybe not but uh, in 1963 is when he def found a uh, Depatie Freeling I don't, I don't know if you say Depatie or Depatie or with David H Depatie but if any of you are familiar with those names you've heard of the Pink Panther right those animated bits of Pink Panther that's Freeling and Depatie or Depatie Freeling like I said I don't know how to say his name. But so once again, there's there's another movie industry that once again influenced by Walt without him actually working on the project. So Pink Panther. And we mentioned MGM a while ago, mm -hmm. the MGM stuff. They had some. We mentioned the uh, the Tom and Jerry. Well, you could say they brought some people together because Tom and Jerry was brought was created by uh, Joseph Hanna and William Barbera. Mm -hmm. They would later on be kind of manipulated and taken advantage of by MGM themselves. And so they left that company and would go and start their own company called Hanna-Barbera. And as they did that, of course, MGM found that they could not really do it very well without them. Yes, we had Chuck yeah. Jones do a couple good ones and then some really bad ones without them. Yeah. And then later on, Hanna-Barbera got their cat and mouse back. Yep. So I'm glad about that. Well, now Warner Brothers Now they've got, they've got all of Hanna-Barbera and... I won't comment on what I think they're doing to the Hanna-Barbera characters. We'll just move on. Uh, <laughs> we won't talk about that. However, I, have a weird I still love Hanna-Barbera characters. I have a weird note on, on Frizz Freeling. He died May 26, 1995 in Los Angeles. And on that same day in Kansas City, I was graduating from Oak Park High School. Because I'm that old, folks. <laughs> 
Okay, uh, I'm going to skip over Carmack's Max Level, but Virginia Davis, I bet you got some stuff on Virginia Davis. Yeah, so earlier we mentioned the uh, the Alice comedies. Um, so the first, uh, there was ultimately a few different girls that played Alice uh, over the years, because um, after a while, uh, you know, Kids Virginia do grow Davis up, grows you know. up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, <laughs> kids do grow up, and so, you know, in order to keep that kind of same type of uh, energy, you have to recast. Right. Uh, so, uh, Virginia Davis uh, was a was an actress here in Kansas City. Uh, I believe she was only four years old the first time Walt saw her. Wow. <laughs> um, wow. But uh, Walt, when he made his first Alice car, uh, comedy, uh, Alice's Wonderland, he cast Virginia Davis in this part. And uh, he actually, you know, sent that film reel to Margaret Winkler in, in New York uh, and said, you know, would this be something you would like to distribute for me? And she said yes on one condition you have to have the same actress play Alice and so Walt much like these animators convinced Virginia Davis and her family to move from Kansas City to California uh, where Virginia Davis uh, continued to uh, to play the role of Alice for many years and uh, you know Virginia Davis actually um, she uh, she uh, did some tests, uh, audio tests, uh, for a few other different Disney things later down the line. Like she tested for Snow White, uh, and also a few voices uh, in Pinocchio as well. But ultimately, you know, Walt decided to go in a different direction with that. But but Walt always kept her in mind and kept bringing her back to see if that was something that uh, you know he could utilize her for. Nice. Uh, but yeah, but Virginia Davis, she was the first Alice. Uh, later on, they had a few other uh, people play that. But uh, Virginia Davis uh, later on named, named a Disney legend, so she was the yeah. first. Uh, female Disney legend name. 1988. Mm -hmm. Or although I did I did mention the Disney legend website lister is 1998. So I'm not exactly sure. But yeah, she's a Disney legend. I still didn't realize I, I did have the note for the Snow White and Pinocchio. I had forgotten all about that. Wow. Mm -hmm. Nice. But you know, I every time I, we talk about, and maybe it's just this time, this is my, my, the way my brain works. So Walt telling people to, 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 to move to California, my brain says, California is the place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck. And, okay. <laughs> you don't. I have a strange brain, okay, sorry. Hey, you paid to see it. Okay, anyway. Alright, oh, we have a whole section on Love Iwerks. I feel like we've covered so much on him already. Uh, wow, my goodness. Bit, oh my gosh, look, look all these pages are just of Iwerks, so the amazing career that he had. And I think they even, uh, didn't they keep his office somewhere in the studio? Like, uh, I don't know about that. I heard something about his daughter was actually getting to use. His well, name. his granddaughter, Leslie Iwerks. Oh, okay. So, uh, so of Iwerks, um, he actually had a son, Don Iwerks, uh, also Disney legend Don Iwerks. Uh, he's actually still alive uh, to this wow. day. Yeah, Don Iwerks and, and Ub Iwerks did uh, effects animation together for, for many years. Uh, and then uh, Don Iwerks' daughter, Leslie Iwerks, um, she herself is a documentarian. Nice. So she's actually a writer. She's written a few books. Um, but she, the first thing that she did was a documentary on her grandfather, Ub Iwerks. Um, she actually uh, did that on him because she, he passed away when she was only a year old. And so for her, that was a way uh, that she could kind of get to know her grandfather a little bit. Uh, but since then, she's gone on to do a lot of work for Disney. Um, she actually did The Imagineering Story, which is on Disney+. Plus. Oh, it's a fantastic I, I series. I still leave you to watch uh, that. Yeah, though. fantastic <laughs> series. And then she also wrote a book, a companion piece, uh, that kind of goes with that hmm. as well. And, uh, yeah, you know... But Leslie Iwerks, uh, she's actually been a, a good friend of the museum uh, and good friend of, of Kay, the executive director at the museum. So, uh, so yeah, either. yeah, she's done a lot of she's done a lot of good work and a lot of good work in memory of her family. Nice. Uh, it is kind of fun. Uh, anybody remember Gabby Goat? I do. Remember. All right, here's my, all right. So Gabby Goat, if you happen to see this, this is before Daffy Duck. Porky Pig used to have for his kind of partner in a lot of cartoons with was Gabby Goat. And in uh, 1937, actually, Leon Schlesinger Productions contracted uh, Bioworks to produce four Looney Tunes, and this was the Porky Pig and Gabby Goat. Now, the funny thing is, 
Some of these, these Porky Pig Gabby Goat cartoons, you can see the exact same cartoon where they just swapped out and put Daffy Duck in place. But it's like, it was like the, almost the same personality. Back when Daffy Duck was his early version where he was, yeah, he was, he was Daffy and he was almost like an equivalent to Bugs, but I guess at some point, it, it worked really well. They thought he would be better as a rival to Bugs Bunny instead of his own stuff. Now, I prefer, I prefer like the early Daffy Duck where he would, when he would be, you know, having Elmer Fudd even as his foil when Elmer Fudd would go duck hunting. Those are hilarious. I love classic Daffy Duck, but I have to admit what Chuck Jones did with Daffy Duck when he'd pair him with Bugs Bunny and make him the foil of Bugs Bunny. I mean, come on, the, the whole rabbit season, duck season thing is just genius. But I don't know. A lot of the other times when people try to try to do stuff with Daffy Duck, it doesn't work for me, for me as well as it did when Chuck Jones would do it. It's like Chuck Jones so, just had that way when he directed this stuff. And it's still my, my favorite bit of a Looney ever is when they're it's part of the Rabbit Season Duck Season cartoon, my and they're down in a hole, and Bugs goes to Daffy and he says like, "Here, pick up out of the hole and see if he's still out there." Daffy pokes his head up, gets shot, and, you know, his body flies out. He comes out there and his beak is all messed up, and uh, is he still there? Still lurking about. Go check again. Not for me. I'm driving. I don't know why, but that is like my favorite Daffy Duck moment. You're despicable. He's, oh, he's giving me the sign that we got six minutes left. I but, actually have a tie of Rabbit Season Duck. Oh, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. Yes. And so I, I have about 300 some odd ties. And I every once in a while just choose one for whatever reason. And I use that one quite a bit. Rabbit Season Duck Season. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the Annie Awards. Anybody heard of the Annie Awards? Animation Awards, there we go. Uh, they actually created an award in the honor of Ub Iwerks. They call it the Ub Iwerks Award for Technical Achievement, which is awesome. Uh, and you mentioned, I guess, his son ended up working for Disney as well in the camera department. Didn't yeah, you? yeah. Uh, he was named a Disney legend in 1989, and I got an actual quote from him. He said he told his sons, it doesn't make any difference who first drew Mickey Mouse. What made the difference is what Walt did with the character. That's so, because a lot of people want to credit, you know, really the version of Mickey that we got used to was was Ub's, but Ub always very humble of him for being the genius that he was. Always gave credit. It's like, hey, what Walt did with the character is what made it special, not just his work, which is work. I mean, can when you consider those early ones that Ub animated himself? Yeah, stuff like you know, Steamboat Willie or Playing Crazy. If you've, ever, if you've never seen Playing Crazy, I love that one too. So I've actually got a Funko Pop of Mickey Mouse playing crazy, where he's trying to look like a. Oh, oh Charles Lindbergh. Yeah, and he goes to yeah. mess his hair up. He's got a mirror, and it's, I got a Funko where he's got messing his hair up and looking in the mirror. Just, I love it. I love well, it. Technically, before uh, Steamboat Willie won it. Made yeah, so Playing Crazy was actually the first uh, animated one that was completed, uh, yeah. but it was completed as a silent film. And then when obviously sound uh, came out, uh, Walt said, "Well, obviously we have to we have to do a sound cartoon." And so they kind of put Playing Crazy over to the side. And while they were working on Steamboat Willie, that's when they uh, incorporated the sound effects to it. Uh, and that's when Walt got Carl Stalling over to California uh, was for that. But after the success of Steamboat Willie, then they released Playing Crazy after, and they yeah. also added sound effects to that as well. Yeah. But yeah, Playing Crazy, that was the first Mickey Mouse cartoon that was completed, uh, in which case Ub Iwerks did that pretty much by himself. Uh, and they, he also did that pretty much in secret uh, because at the time, uh, Walt still had to finish a few of the Oswald cartoons. Right. And so Walt would well, have his right. animation staff that was about to leave him uh, animate the Oswald stuff during the day, and then he would have you know Ub Iwerks come over, and at night they would, they would work on yeah. the... The, the Mickey Mouse stuff in secret. So, uh, so yeah, playing crazy. It, th that was uh, just as important as Steamboat Willie in many senses. Yeah, and it's just as funny. And maybe it's actually funnier than Steamboat Willie. Steamboat Willie is almost like, look, we can make sound. Let's play songs, and it's a delight. But when you watch playing crazy, and it's it's just funny. Well, that was, you know, since that was the first 
yeah. uh, time Mickey was was ever drawn. He does have a little bit of a different style and personality in that than he does in, yeah. in anything else, even in Steamboat Willie. But yeah, uh, that that version of Mickey is is different from any other Mickey you'll you'll see. Yeah, and it's it's good stuff. I don't know if you can find Plain Crazy on Disney Plus, but uh, it has been released. Uh, I don't know if you can still get the that. Um, I think they call it Celebrating Mickey of the 90 years anniversary they put out of Blu-ray had a lot of, some of the, just the best Mickey Mouse, including Lonesome Ghosts, which is, well, that's that's probably, I guess my number three after his big, the band concert. Uh, but it's, it's one of the things I kind of feel bad for a lot of uh, the generations after me is they, you know, Disney Channel wasn't showing a lot of these these old cartoons, and I'm even a little disappointed. Disney Plus, I felt the promise of Disney Plus was I wanted every Mickey cartoon, every every Donald Duck, and we got a handful. It's like, well, that's nice, I guess, but I wanted all of it. I mean, I don't mind they're making some new things. I mean, I'm behind on the episode of The Mandalorian, so nobody spoil it for me yet, please. Oh, that's even... Oh, don't you do it. <laughs> I know where you live. I was your right here. Uh, so, I mean, there's there's a lot of good new stuff, but I'm, I'm just a fan of some of the classic. And, uh, heck, if, if I, I don't have any kids, I have three cats. My wife and I weren't able to have any kids, but we love cats. And my cats don't understand Mickey Mouse. But I, I would love to have, like, kids to be able to pass on some of the classics of animation... Uh, and some of this you can still find. They don't really show a lot of even the old Looney Tunes or some of these old MGM cartoons. They're really getting to where they're hard to find, and it's really sad. But you put a little effort in some of this. I mean, it's better than I, a lot of what we see in computer. I mean, sure, it looks great, but there's just something about the hand drawn that's just it's magical. That's why I buy them all. So yeah. if I'm ever in the mood for the old stuff, I put it in. There's just something so what, special. What, you have to put it in? Yes, I have yeah. to put it in. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, I, I, I was almost a reluctant convert into getting into digital movie because I, you know, I liked having a physical copy of the disc, but once I got like my Voodoo account and I realized, well, what does this code come with my Blu-ray here? I was like, oh, well, now I don't have to get up and actually grab the disc. So, But anyways, uh, I got like two minutes, so I want to remind you all to go to NeverlandPodcast.com. You can find our website. We have a shop there where you can actually get this nice shirt and a lot of other new shirts that I'm putting in. Uh, also, make sure you go visit Marceline and what is it's hometown museum no it's yeah, not that one it's the walt disney hometown museum walt disney hometown museum.com or well, the website is walt disney museum.org okay walt disney museum.org and do not forget on sunday uh, i believe it's at 1 30 uh he won't be back he's got to preach so i'm playing hooky from church so i can be here to talk about marceline because marceline it's a magical place it really is and the influence that it had on walt and even just those early childhood years because you know you could say walt kind of grew up in marceline but he also kind of grew up literally here he learned imagination and marceline he learned hard work here because his father was uh rough and imagine being as what well, well, was like what like seven or eight when they moved here and his, uh, he his was nine father, nine nine but still he put him in a paper route you know, because that's part of this paper route. So, I mean, it's really rough stuff. But, man, make sure you go visit and plan yourself. Uh, you know, go to the website, plan yourself a visit to the museum. Go to Marceline if you've never been. And, you know, explore a little bit around town. There is some Walt Disney history in here. We, we actually, in the parking garage, there was a nice little mural of Walt Disney as we were walking up. So, there's a lot of amazing things. Uh, you can see his house. You can see the Laughagram Studios. It's a really amazing history. And just think of all the different animations that... A lot of us grew up with, and some of us maybe have missed out with. I don't know. In your generation, you might have missed a lot of these things. So uh, there's wonderful, wonderful animation out there that actually Walt had an influence on, even if it's a, even if it's a small amount. You never know those little effects they have. So take that into the world. The, the, you never know the, the nice effects you might have on other people and what they may do because they interacted with you. So with great, as I always say, with great power comes great responsibility. That's one of my, I live by that. That's why I'm such a Spider-Man fan. Whatever talent you have, as big or small as it is, share it. Because you never know what is going to domino effect. 
you can do wonderful, beautiful things. And always, as I always like to say, keep a pixie in your pocket. That was kind of our theme. That was keeping that little young heart, happy attitude in your pocket that you could whip out and show it to anybody. And sometimes it just takes a handshake and a smile. Do something just nice for somebody. Just smile at them and say, hey, it's good to see you today. In fact, it's good to see y'all today. I'm so happy y'all came here. I was worried when I found out Margaret Carey was going to be behind her at the same time that, oh my gosh, I'm up against a Disney legend. Because there's one time I presented here that Jim Cummings was in the other room and I had nobody. Mm -hmm. So I am so happy y'all are here. But thank you for coming. This was fun. Hopefully y'all learned something you're going to take with you. God bless you all. Yes, God bless. And hope to see you on Sunday. Okay, so as we wrap up the show, uh, I do want to... I kind of wish I'd run into them another time. There was actually three young ladies that sat in the front row at this one that I ran into actually on Saturday. They had come to see a panel with some Final Fantasy uh, uh, voices that had done Kingdom Hearts and also the Advent Children. And two of them were dressed up as Tifa and Aerith from Final Fantasy VII. And I didn't get a chance to get a photo of their costumes. They were really, really neat, but I appreciate them coming to the panel. And I kind of wish I'd have gotten a photo because they were good costumes. Uh, but I was sitting in there also waiting for Elvira to come along. So, But uh, it was really kind of cool. I was like, man, I wish I had gotten their costumes because, I, the, you know, Aerith is like my favorite character out of there. And I did find some really nice artwork that I purchased uh, of Aerith. Uh, it's a bit sad, though. Uh, it is where she, in the original game, of course, she does die. I'm hoping in the remake uh, trilogy or whatever we're getting that uh, they're going to find a way for her to live. Uh, and I had a conversation, actually, with the artist who had drawn this picture uh, that I bought uh, about that and what our hopes would be. Uh, for that. Anyways, but Philip and I had a great time. I've got a lot more audio to be able to share over the next few episodes, including our second panel on that Sunday. So make sure you come back for that. And of course, uh, I've got audio from some of the celebrity panels with, with Jonathan Frakes and William Shatner and Cassandra Peterson. Uh, I even had, a, I sat in with on a Bill Morrison panel that I did not record, but I did not realize. Uh, you know, I wasn't sure what all he, he, I heard he was a comic artist. I wasn't really sure what all he'd done, but he actually drew some Disney movie posters for like Bambi and Jungle Book and The Little Mermaid. He was getting to do some classic movies and some of the new movies as they were coming out at the time. So, oh, pardon me. I'm drinking a Dr. Pepper. Uh, but uh, so he came along and uh, had a great panel, and I should have probably recorded that one as well. Uh, he's done a lot of work actually on the Simpsons comics with Matt Groening. So uh, there is more to come. And, of course, we want to remind you all to visit our website at Neverland Podcast. Dot com. Uh, oh, I should have my show notes up here to remind me where all everything was. I thought I had it on the internet, but that's right. It's not on the internet. It's on. <laughs> okay, it's on the Google. But yeah, like Ricky Pope, who of course you hear on there, uh, Darren Wilhite, uh, you know, all the people who helped me out with the introduction. Make sure you go to NeverlandPodcast.com. Visit our shop. I got a brand new shirt line uh, that I'm starting. Uh, the first one based upon the conversation I had with Phil Lawler on our last episode that love is equal to service. Uh, and how we can be more loving to other people. And I have a shirt that kind of represents that message and even a Bible verse to go with it. So uh, doing kind of something different with our shirts on there. But yeah, I do appreciate when you go purchase shirts. I get a little bit out of those. Uh, I don't get most of the money from the shirts, but at least I get something and it does help out. So I would appreciate you going to do those. Make sure you tell your friends about the show. Follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. If I was looking at my show notes, I would have all the particulars about that. But if you if you look for Neverland Podcast on or even Neverland Pcast on Twitter, you will find us on Instagram. Uh, on Instagram, I'm the Spider Pan. So yeah, go ahead and find us. We're on YouTube. We're we're everywhere. <laughs> 
Make sure you uh, to rate us if you haven't already. My podcast reviews, you can find a link right there on the front page of the website. You can leave a review there. Also, if you happen to have a podcast and you would like to be able to collect your reviews from around the world, it's a really nice way to get everything. And please do leave reviews. I need to get some more. Uh, even if there's something you don't like, let me know. But be nice, you know, because uh, I can I can make improvements if I know that there's something that people don't like. Um, then I can make changes. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm really just fumbling for words here, so I'm just going to wrap this up with the way we end our show, which I didn't want to end the the panels this way, because I don't know if people would understand when I say get lost. In an adventure! All right, so come back next week and the few and and, and the next few weeks because I'm going to have a lot more content and uh, I hope to collaborate with some other podcasters I met while I was there and I made contact with some uh, interesting people while I was there that may come on the show. So well, I'll just leave it at that. Okay, now now I'm going to get lost. Is your wallet a little lighter than usual after the holiday season? Consider it money well spent, because you deserve to live your best life, and the Chime Checking Account wants to help you live yours to the fullest. A little extra money goes a long way, which is why the Chime Checking Account has tons of benefits that millions of members love, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and access to over 60,000 easy-to-find and fee-free ATMs. You even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit, all while managing your money on the go, including sending and receiving money fee-free with friends that aren't even on Chime. Sign up for Chime today for you and your wallet. Get started at Chime.com goals 24. That's Chime.com goals 24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply.